0: Stewarding the first fruits. If you're looking for a title of the message, um, it's something we really haven't talked about much at length. There's been many uh, exhortations before we pass the baskets, um, but no, no message that had a lot of length to it. And so I want to give us some convictions about giving, not to convict anyone, but to um, give us convictions as to why we give. See when. Paul shared a few weeks ago, if you remember, um, before we passed the baskets, um, he raised the concern of um, the times when we actually are intentional to, take, uh, to pass the baskets, that the sum collected is substantially higher for when, than the times in the services when we just, you know, it's not a, a priority and the Holy Spirit takes over, which he takes over every service. But, you know what I mean? The, the baskets are up front, and hey, if you have a heart to give, come and give. And his concern is, are we giving out of conviction or out of compulsion? And really, you know, my concern, the Lord's concern is, are we giving out of conviction or out of compulsion? And, and the Apostle Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians chapter 9, saying, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, the, the goal of the instruction this morning isn't to convict anyone, isn't to shame anyone into giving, shame on any preacher who has used the pulpit with impure motives. And I have certainly diligently sought the Lord's heart on this matter. It's a long journey. He has taken me on, and it's of utmost importance to him. Over 30% of Jesus' parables were related to money. Why? Because he knows that it's tied to our heart. And so, you know, again, I want to give us a host of reasons as to when we give, we're able to explain it. We're able to cheerfully give and honor the Lord from a pure heart. It's not just some ethereal concept to us or, you know, mom gives, so I gave. Or granddaddy told me to give in church growing up, and so it's just something that I, I kept doing. Um, but no, you can own it and explain it for yourself and experience the joy that comes with giving. See, the human heart is really a twisted Bunch of knots, and especially so as it relates to money and finances, and we're all bound up, and it manifests in, in different ways through fear with our money, not knowing if there's going to be enough, shame if you came from a background of uh, not so much means, if you grew up um, in poverty, or or pride if you have a lot of money, and you're showy about it. The Lord has a has a correction, has a cure for it all, however the twisted knots manifest, and that's through making us joyful givers. <clears throat> and it's a journey, to be sure, um, and it's one that he has delivered me from. It's a strong part of my testimony in the last, really, five, six years. I, my battle was with fear, fear of being without, and so I'm inviting you this morning <clears throat> on a journey as well. It's, I'm not preaching from a hey, I'm the best giver that ever walked this earth that is far from the truth. The Lord is showing me and revealing things about what it's like to live a generous lifestyle, whether it be with your finances or your time or your talent or your possessions. There's a number of ways that we can live generously, whether you have a lot of means or a little bit of means. So, like I said, my story is that of coming out of fear of being without it. It was like my default. It corrupted and polluted every thought, every action. The more and more I unpacked it, whether it was, hey, the grocery store was more than I expected, or this unexpected expense came up, and I was always going to worst-case scenario. What if we run out of money? What if I'm out of a job? What, what are we going to do then? And I was carrying a burden that the Lord had never asked me to carry because... I read the scriptures and I see a a loving father, a father who provides, whose grace is sufficient, who's going to give me every need if I seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. He says in Matthew 6 that these other things, our needs will be added to us. I was so focused on the needs that I was not seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. And so there is freedom this morning. I didn't realize this was going to tie into talking about giving and finances. We're worshiping the Lord and, and getting breakthrough in the realm of freedom, well, the Lord is going after the complete spectrum because a lot of us still have a chain that's tied from our wrists to our wallet. And the Lord is after cutting it this morning. So if I could sum up my testimony, when it comes to finances, the Lord has taken my eyes off of myself and onto him. So stewarding the first fruits. We're gonna, we're gonna break down the concept of stewardship and then the first fruits, and I'll get into some convictions um, about about why we give. So you won't get anywhere in the realm of giving and finances until you resolve in your heart that our money, our money, our possessions, our time, our talents are not ours, but they're his. We are mere stewards. God alone is creator of everything. Therefore, he owns everything, and it's a gift given to us. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell within it. So stewardship, you know, who, just by way of example, who here has $100 that they could give to me? Cash, right now. $100. Isabel, Cash? <laughs> She's, all right, John's standing up. All right, thank you, John. Chris, $100 bill, thank you. All right, get in your flesh for a second. Paul, don't don't hurt me for that statement. What did he just say? (laughs) Get in your flesh, all right. By that I mean I I don't want the churched-up answers. I just got a free gift, $100. How should I spend it? Just anything. There (laughs) There you go, take your wife on a date. Shopping. Coffee. Love it. Great answers. All right. Here's $100. My own hard-earned money. This wasn't a gift. It didn't fall from heaven. It wasn't um, laying in the parking lot when I walked in this morning. This is part of my normal budget, let's say. How should I spend it? Bills? Well, this... The point is, more conservative answers come to mind. Gas, groceries, it's going towards rent, mortgage, whatever. Right? But once I understand that one's a gift and one I earned, it still belongs to the Lord. Right? We have to divorce the relationship and say, I'm still a steward and be faithful for if the Lord impresses upon my heart that, hey, I'm supposed to give this away, Here's another date night lottery winner right here, John. Yeah. Newlywed. There you go. The Lord's going to raise up that $200 that I was supposed to have for some other reason. I'm leaning in faith and saying, Lord, I'm just a steward of what you have given me. And I'm a willing vessel. I didn't own anything, whether it was a gift that was truly from you. See, and John was a faithful steward. Little did he know. I, so this was a little bit planned. I, I gave him the $100 beforehand. <laughs> So it was very easy for him to say, yeah, I got 100 bucks," Because I told him, you're just going to give it to me later, right? <laughs> but he was, he was a good steward. He didn't go out and spend it. He didn't go and get a coffee, right? And, and come back with $95. So he was a good steward of what I had asked him to do. And so reaping and sowing... You got another $100. Congratulations. You and Allie actually spend it how the Lord leads you. There you go. (laughs) And praise God, he's a wonderful, loving, tending owner as well, right? He's the owner. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. If we capture the I shall not want. It's more than just not lacking, okay? But that is a big part of it. The Lord's my shepherd. He's going to provide for my, for my every need. But it goes beyond that. The, the essence of, of that scripture is I have an utter contentedness that I don't have a longing for any other shepherd, that He is the shepherd. He is my master. He is my owner. There aren't green pastures on the other side, greener pastures on the other side of that fence that someone else is offering out. No, I am content with where he is leading me, where he has led me, and he makes me lie down. A funny thing about sheep, they will not lie down unless fear is completely gone. Okay? So the Lord is driving out. There's other things that they won't do unless certain things are met, but they won't lie down unless fear is gone. So when us submitting, us lying down in our finances, we have to let go of the fear that's within it. And isn't it someone that we would want to be owned by? That we would want to steward possessions for? For the good shepherd, Jesus? He's left his flock and he sent the Holy Spirit in his stead, but he is coming back. And there will be an accounting when he does, and we'll have to give an account for all the things that he's asked us to steward. And yes, that does include our finances. It also includes our relationships, our marriages, our children, our time, our talents, our possessions. So a steward, if you're looking for a definition, a steward is one charged with administrating the affairs of the true owner. A steward is one charged with administrating the affairs of the true owner. And what does God ask us to steward? I've got into this a little bit. Time, talents, possessions, finances are are the big four. So time. We can look at our schedule and figure out where our treasures may lay, just like we can look at our bank account and our receipts or our credit card statement and figure out, what we treasure, we can do the same thing with our schedule, and so, you know, I'm I'm always constantly examining my own schedule, what Lord needs to be pruned, and just because it's my conviction doesn't mean it has to be your conviction, but the Lord is highlighting certain things to me, and I know in the past it's been football, football season's upon us, praise the Lord, right? But... And it wasn't uncommon for me to watch every game on a Sunday, the 1 o'clock, the 4 o'clock, the Sunday night, the Monday night. I gave the Lord two hours, and I was given entertainment 12. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That doesn't add up in my God equation. What about the other 166 hours in a week that we're asked to steward? steward? Yes, we do well to give Him our first fruits on Sunday morning. Part of the reason the early church began meeting on Sundays because Saturday was the Sabbath, and they viewed Sunday as the first part of the week, and they would give the Lord the first part of their week. So if you have trouble remembering that Saturday is the Sabbath, in Spanish, Saturday is Sabado. Sabado, Sabbath, get it? All right, you're all good. You're all good now. For whatever reason, growing up, I always thought the Sabbath was Sunday. And then, again, the Lord's been highlighting certain things to me, and it's a mind shift change from Lord, my week didn't just start on Monday because the work week began. My work, my week started on Sunday. I gave you the first fruits of my time. And how do I maintain that on a daily basis? You know, some of the saints of old that we that we hold in high esteem have something very similar in common in that they normally get up early in the morning and they spend time with the Lord. They give the Lord the first fruit of their day, and the Lord blesses the rest of it. I know I've certainly been guilty of oh, just you know, one more snooze and you know I need 30 more minutes of sleep and then all of a sudden you're behind and you, there's no time spent with the Lord and you're out the door at work, come home. There's stuff to be done. There's children to tend to. There's evening engagements and before you know it, it's 10 o'clock at night and you're tired and I don't really feel like praying anymore. And then that repeats and you feel like this disconnect from the Lord. And what happened? We got complacent. We weren't good stewards of our time. Our talents, the gifts gifts we have been given to use for the Lord's service. Are you hospitable artistic, musically inclined? Do you have a gift of writing? Are you administrative? Have you learned a trade or a skill that can easily bless others? These are all things that I'm trying to stir up Things inside of us that oh man I I didn't realize that being a good steward and giving away was more than just my money. Our possessions took money to get the possessions, usually, or it was gifted to us. But we are also asked to give an account for for those. You get a new beautiful grill. Are you only going to use it for yourself, or are you going to invite people over? And bless others with food at your table. Your dining room table is another excellent example. To open up your home. Your living room. To host others. Your car. There's all kinds of car needs that I run into. Just in my family or in here or elsewhere. It, it's a possession that we you know, really want to hold on to for whatever reason. But are we willing to, if the Lord leads and asks us, are you willing to let someone borrow your car? Are you willing to give it away? <clears throat> See, and I like starting out with those three because all of us have the same amount of time. No one can complain that someone got 25 hours in the day and you only have 24. We're all allotted the same amount of time. And most of us have talents. All of us have talents and possessions that were. It's a little bit easier to tap into those sources, if you will, because we don't always have the most money. But again, that's that's the next concept I want to get into, and it's oftentimes... The elephant in the room. Like, oh, here we go again. It's a, another preacher talking about giving. Okay, your heart's become jaded towards what the Lord wants you, where he wants your heart in the realm of generosity and giving because it speaks about him and his nature. And if you have that feeling of the elephant in the room, like, what is he going to talk about next? Where is he going to go with this Next. That right there is how you know that devil has corrupted something that the Lord actually intended for good. See, the scripture is it's the love of money that's the root of all sorts of evil. It's not money itself, that's the root of evil, but the love of money. So, anytime you come across mammon in scripture, that's that that's not just money; it's actually the love of money. So, viewed rightly, our money is actually His, and it's a useful tool. For many common things, but also for advancing the kingdom of God. So I want to lay a little bit of groundwork before we get into the first fruits, and not spend a lot of time establishing um, that tithing is not only biblical, but it's also New Testamental. There's some out there who'd want to debate that we're not asked to give at all. Um, however, Jesus affirmed in Matthew twenty twenty three, he affirmed the tithe, saying, "Woe to you, scribes!" Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Jesus is saying, you were good to tithe, I commend you for that, but you should have had more emphasis on justice and mercy and faithfulness. And on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.20, Jesus exhorts us, to have our righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. Well it was well known that part of the Pharisees' righteousness was that they were givers and that they were faithful to give exactly 10%. So if the in the old covenant established the tithe or a tenth, that's where we get the word a tithe just means one tenth. So if we now living in the new covenant can can acknowledge that the old covenant was just training wheels for the new. That 10 was the minimum, and the Lord is asking us to partner with him in faith to go above and beyond that. And whether that's 10% for you, 15, 20, 25, I'm not going to put a percentage on it. You go and seek the Lord after it for yourself because only you and him can know what's really going to test your faith where you're willing to partner with him and say, Lord, I release this to you. I no longer want the chain tied from my pocketbook to my wrist any longer it is yours I've given you everything else why would I withhold from you what is yours to begin with I wrote here money is a test of our stewardship from God how we handle money reveals volumes about our priorities loyalties and affection the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him So when Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve God and mammon. He is saying you'll either worship money or you'll worship God with your money. See, giving does a supernatural work in our hearts. As Robert Morris puts it, we're born takers, but we're born again givers. And when we're born again, God starts us on this journey and I'm telling you, it wasn't day one when I got saved where I, all of a sudden I had this revelation about giving. It's been a process. But it's been a process worth partnering with him in, and allowing him to give me life in the realm of finances. Not just life, but life abundantly. God doesn't need our money. The cattle on a thousand hills is still his. He has not run out of all the silver and gold. God does But God does recognize that our treasure is tied to our hearts. So God goes through our treasure to get to our hearts. This message isn't about reaching your wallet today. It's about God reaching your heart through your wallet for a lifetime. So we're talking about stewardship, specifically our finances. I told you the the title of the message is Stewarding the First Fruits. So what is this first fruits concept? If you'll open with me to Genesis 4... Genesis 4, and I'm reading from the NASB, um, in case you are wondering. All my references are, are going to be from the NASB unless otherwise stated. Verse 1, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord and of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. And this passage always confused me because I couldn't ever figure out why and the Lord received an offering from both. What what is he just against vegetarians? Like what's what's the issue here? And, and so And so, you know, it was highlighted to me that in verse three, so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering, which implies that he gathered his fruits and his vegetables, and then he knew how much he had, and then he gave out of that. Where Abel gave his firstlings, and I'm no farmer or rancher or anything like that, but I do know that you don't know how, how many livestock are in the womb when a, a lamb is about to give birth, or a pig, or whatever. So to sacrifice the firstling was a measure of faith, because maybe that might be the only one that you get, but maybe there's two, three, four, five, six, seven behind it, so when Abel brought his firstling's offering, the Lord was pleased with that because the Lord, again, to bring it in the modern day concept, most of us get paid once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, whatever it might be, and, and the budget's relatively stable. It's easy to know just how much one-tenth is. But I still encourage you to give out of that first tenth because that's where the Lord is going to honor our sacrifice because I've definitely been there too. Again, I told you this is a journey. This, this, I didn't start out giving perfectly. Where at the end of the month, the bills got paid, unexpected stuff comes up, and what I wrote to give down wasn't there anymore. But had I been a good steward of what the Lord had given me and given to Him first, I would have made different priorities out of what was to come. And so that's why the Lord is asking us for the first tenth. Do you trust me? In Exodus thirteen two gives us an important concept of the first fruits. It says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. There are sixteen more times in Scripture that count God declaring that the firstborn is his. And according to the Old Testament law, the firstborn of the lights of the livestock had to either be sacrificed if it was pure, or redeemed if it was blemished, with a pure lamb. And as for man, all the firstborn sons had to be redeemed with the lamb sacrifice. So then in steps Jesus. John the Baptist's profound statement, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was literally a first fruits offering. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. He's clean. He's perfect. Unblemished in every way. And God the Father offers up his Son, his firstborn of all creation, as a sacrifice on behalf of man who was unclean, who's sinful, born sinners. Jesus redeemed us all. It's an amazing parallel. So, conviction number one we give because God first gave to us. God is not asking us to do something that he has not already done. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that none would perish and all would have eternal life. The most off-cited scripture in in the Bible, John 3.16. And we can get past, or we we can get consumed in that scripture. Oh, you know, I've heard it so much. But really, it speaks to the extravagant giving of the Lord and his generosity that he would give his own son for us. Conviction number two, we give to get. Okay, just just testing you guys. We give to get more of God. You'll hear a lot of prosperity gospel preachers out there, and, and they'll just leave off the second part of that, of that sentence. But God does not want givers who are really just looking to get more from him, but to get more of him. He's not up there excited when we start giving um, and saying, hey, my children went from withholding to me to now giving to me, and, and now they want more from me. That doesn't excite the heart of God. He wants the relationship with us. Our motivation is relationship, not receiving a reward. When we give to get more materially, that is entitlement, and it's nasty stuff, and God wants to wash us clean of any selfish motive we might have in giving. I give, so God, you owe me, or bad things shouldn't happen to me. Again, we may not be that explicit, we may not state it, but I know it's risen up within my heart. And again, the Lord wants to wash us clean of, of those kinds of thoughts and say, he wants, to, he wants to rise up pure givers who just want to have relationship with Him, who want to see His kingdom advance, it, want to see his name honored and glorified and that we wouldn't have any tie to our pocketbook and that the heart-to-heart relationship with him, there would be no filter. There would be nothing in between. And sadly, to many of us, the filter has dollar signs in it. Did Jesus not say in this life, you will have trouble? And when trouble comes are we going to lean into? Are we going to lean into ourselves, our own finances, or do we lean into the one who, if we finish that verse, said, but do not fear, I have overcome the world. The giving doesn't have any strings attached. There are no expectations. That's why Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. By sowing into heaven, you reap heaven. And what does heaven look like? There aren't just $100 bills floating around. Okay? Mm -hmm. There's a joke about a, a man who was saving up a bunch of money, and um, he he wanted to bring something with him to heaven. And so he saved up all this money and purchased gold bars. All right, and we know the streets in heaven are lined with gold and the walls are are stones. Right, and so he he people are telling him you're crazy. You can't bring anything with you. Well, somehow he did. He gets to bring his suitcase full of, of gold bars and and he gets in and. And Abraham looks at him and says, what's in the suitcase? And he opens up and gold bars fall out and said, you brought asphalt? (sighs) (laughs) But that's just an illustration for you. Like we get so caught up in the glitz and the glamour and ooh, gold and money and wealth and fame and fortune. It's all passing away. Gold, the highest form of wealth, if you will, that many look at and we tread on it in heaven. <clears throat> heaven on earth looks like hearts transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Can a thief steal your joy? Can a moth eat away at your peace? See, these characteristics and others are the treasures of heaven which cannot be taken from us and are further given to us when we give out of our material wealth see by giving we expose we drive out and we keep at bay how pride and fear and shame may operate in the realm of finances pride may take the form of um, you know being boastful or showy i did this look at me it's selfish it's self-centered the generous heart does not care who gets the credit doesn't have to be recognized, doesn't have to have its name on it, and always acknowledges that God did it. Where the prideful heart is just the opposite of those things. Fear can manifest in some crazy ways as it relates to finance. I can't afford to give. What happens if? You know, did you really say to give that amount? You know, I have to keep up with the Joneses or or what might they think of me and my family? See, really pride and fear manifest in control of our finances. Where pride says, if I just hold on to the reins a little bit tighter, look how much more it can grow. And where fear says, if I let go of the reins, this is going to crash and burn. And the Lord is in the process with all of us of removing our hands from around our pocketbooks and slowly opening it so that we can be a conduit for which he can advance his kingdom. If we sow, honor, patience, respect, humility, finances, you will will reap more, honor, patience, respect, humility, finances. It's the law of sowing and reaping. A farmer who plants corn in the spring isn't standing around in, in October expecting wheat, right? And yet many of us are guilty of standing around in October expecting a harvest when we didn't plant any seeds at all. So if your marriage is struggling, you need to sow into your marriage. Prioritize date night. Prioritize spending time and making your spouse a priority. If you don't feel respected at work, try respecting others at work, even those who may dishonor you. If you think you're supposed to lead, honor your leaders. If you, if you feel like you're going to be an evangelist, Great support missionaries, find content, buy books of other evangelists, and and really partner with the word of the Lord for you, and not just expect that this evangelist thing is going to happen all of a sudden. So I cannot reiterate enough: we didn't, we do not give to receive, but there's an unavoidable truth that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. So when we do receive, or so we do receive when we give, and sometimes that manifests financially, but it always manifests in a heart transformation. When we give out of, a out of a transformed heart, the motive is to bless others and advance the kingdom of God. God sees the person who is faithful with a little and will then entrust them with much. I want to read to you an example of this uh, from Robert Morris's book, The Blessed Life. I highly encourage Anyone, if you're, if you're wanting to know more on, on giving and concepts of, of finance in a, in a godly way, this book, Robert Morris, The Blessed Life, it's, it's most excellent. This is called Peanut Blessings. When God does a work in our heart, we simply give to give, not to get. The resulting blessing we receive is the, by, is the byproduct, not the goal. I saw a beautiful example of this on a trip to Costa Rica to preach at a Bible school. I discovered that every Friday at this school, they have what they call Bless Another Day, a day in which students were encouraged to give others. I heard about a student in the school who had no money and worked the fields of a peanut farmer to pay his tuition. He went to the farmer and said, I'm wondering if you would withhold from my wages the price of one peanut so that I may give it to someone on Bless Another Day. Keep in mind how easy it would have been for this young man simply to steal a peanut while he was working. God will certainly bless people of integrity. The farmer agreed, so every Friday, the student would bring one peanut to school and give it to a student in his class. Unsurprisingly, God began to bless this man who had an unselfish, liberal heart. Before long, he wasn't giving peanuts, he was giving money. By the end of the semester, He was also buying pencils and other school supplies for the poorest students. By the end of that school year, God had blessed him so much that he was able to pay a year's tuition for another student. And by the time he graduated, he was paying the tuition of ten other students. Within a few years of graduating from Bible school, he bought the peanut farm where he used to work and was covering the cost of tuition for scores of students who otherwise would not have been able to afford to go to school. And it all started because God did a work in his heart. He gave when all he could give was a peanut. The issue is not the amount we give. The issue is the motive behind our giving. Does God bless givers? Absolutely. But those promises of blessing are given not to entice us, but to free us from the fear and grief that keeps so many believers from turning loose in giving. Amazing. Conviction number three, we give out of a grateful heart. Those who are unwilling to give don't have a revelation of the deep, deep hole that we were once in, that we could never dig out of ourselves, that Jesus could only pay that price. Gratitude looks like something, it's more than just a thank you. You know, we're quick to correct a child or a teenager who scoffs when they receive a present and you know, thank you kind of thing. It's like, Hey, wait a second. It takes a loving father to come in and discipline the child and say, do you realize the, the length, the depth the, of what that person went through to, to give that to you, right? That we're, you were the beneficiary of a kind act and it warrants more than just a scoff and that child resets and, and takes time and, yep, okay, yeah, so, sorry, thank you. What kind acts of God have we been the beneficiary of that we need to be reminded this morning Or how many more do we need before we truly get it? Because the answer really should be none. He did one great work for us on the cross. Up there, he, he he accomplished much. It is finished. We can't add to the work. And part of that accomplishing work was, I want freedom for you to not fear your finances, to not be boastful about what you have but to have relationship with me and I will use everything that I've given to you in order to glorify me. Maintaining gratitude is part of the reason God established the tithe for us to have a rhythm in our giving. Every time we give, we should be grateful for what God has given to us, whether it be great or small. Heart transformation as it relates to giving is not a one-time change where we do well for a season. But it's a pattern of consistently giving for a lifetime. For when we give to God, we're auto- automatically reminded of where it came from, which is from Him. Again, I can't emphasize the, co- the concept of stewardship. See, once the Lord really arrested in my heart that you are not the owner of your finances, but I am, I was able to partner with Him in, in glorious ways and say, and really experience freedom that, hey, if I'm just a steward, you're going to ask me to do whatever it is that you're going to ask me to do, and you're going to be faithful to provide for my needs. With this sacrifice in mind, how can a spirit-filled, born-again believer not be moved to not just give, but cheerfully give? If 10% was the baseline, we should be longing to give as much as possible. The aim shouldn't be how close can I give to 10.0000% and be guilty of what... Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for. What if we ended up giving way above and beyond that? See, the tithe was required, which was ten percent. There were offerings that were required above and beyond that, which were another seven to ten percent of of the average Israelite's income. So, really, we're talking seventeen to twenty percent was was the mandatory, and then there were sacrificial offerings above and beyond that, where you noticed that. Hey, that that just left the bank account. That hurt, and the Lord's going to bless and honor that. Think of King Solomon. He didn't start out the wealthiest king. It was only required of him to sacrifice one bull when he was inaugurated king. He sacrificed one thousand bulls, and the Lord saw that generosity unto him, and blessed him in great and magnificent ways. He was the richest king that that ever walked the earth, and the wisest man that ever walked the earth, and except for Jesus, obviously, but. You get my point. It started with he was a king, what was one bowl to him, but a thousand? Okay, like that that probably hurt a little bit. You're going to notice that there's no longer a thousand bowls in the in the barn anymore. Right? And so the Lord is at, after not just giving, but sacrificially giving as well. May our prayer be that Lord, would you make me a blessing so that I can bless others. Lord, I'm willing to be obedient with whatever means you give me for a lifetime. May I have the heart of Mary when she tells the servants at the wedding in Cana, whatever Jesus says, just do it. Lord, I'll do it. I'll be faithful to whatever you want me to steward because it's yours anyway. The last conviction, conviction number four, we give because we have grown up. Children are fully dependent on their parents to provide for them. And then as we, as we grow up, we're slowly you know, handed over responsibility and asked to take over some things. And you know, perhaps you get a car and, hey, you got to pay for gas and insurance and that sort of thing. And ultimately, by the time they reach adulthood, they're able to sustain themselves and provide for themselves. I would severely be a horrible parent to my kids if by the time they reached adulthood, they weren't able to do those things for themselves. But the Lord wants to do even a greater work for our kids in this next generation. I'm, I'm convinced of it because how blessed would the church at large be if the young people had a radical view on giving? I'm reminded of, of Grace prophesying over the youth last week or two weeks ago that they would be firebrands. Well, what about if firebrands are more than just boldly proclaiming the gospel, but you have 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old somethings giving half of their income away because they're on fire for the Lord and they're inspiring the generation before them and after them and so I want to teach my children not just you need to be able to provide for yourself but we also you also need to be giving that the low bar isn't you're you're not living in my house in my basement when you're 30 years old So if you'll turn with me to Luke 16, 9 through 13. I'll read this passage and a couple notes and we'll, and we'll land, this, land this plane. Luke 16, verse 9. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous unrighteous also in much therefore if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth who will entrust the true riches to you and if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's who will give you that which is your own verse 13 no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve God and wealth being faithful with your money or unrighteous wealth is part of the Christian's maturation process. Jesus is clearly telling us that if we can be faithful with money, he will entrust more of his kingdom to us. What an honor it would be to be considered a faithful steward of the Lord's finances or for caring for his people or a prophetic anointing or whatever gift or ministry or calling he's called you to, to be called a faithful steward in his house. Oftentimes, it starts with baby steps. Will, will you be faithful with the little thing that the Lord gave to you? Did he give you a word about someone to go and pray for them? But you let fear creep in and say, no, that couldn't have been you, Holy Spirit. I, like That's for other people to do. And then they missed out on an opportunity to be blessed. And you missed out on an opportunity to increase your faith as well. Or moving to the realm of finances. Lord, did you really tell me to give that person this? I'm standing here in the grocery line. You want me to pay for so and so? Like they're they dress nice. They look fine. It looks, you know, those are the thoughts that go through your head. But you don't know what circumstances are going on behind the scenes. But the Lord does. Will we partner with His prompting when it comes to whatever He has asked us to steward? Because He's again, He's directly telling us that if you're faithful with little, I will give you even more. God wants to prosper us. I've experienced it. Behold, I have plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. God's will is for you and I know I keep saying that we don't give to get but there is an unavoidable truth that the Lord is a rewarder of those who seek him. I already talked about sowing and reaping. If we sow financially into the kingdom, you're probably going to reap financially. And you know what? If he doesn't, if it manifests in different ways, we have to be content with that. Because maybe we're faithful to give, and I'm driving home late at night, and I catch a red light, and two lights ahead, a drunk driver blows his red light, but I'm not even there. But that was the Lord's hand of protection, all because I've been faithful to him. I think when we get to heaven, we're just going to have a highlight film, just full of stuff where that was me, that was me. You didn't know it, but I was there. I was looking after you. I was protecting you. Why? Because you were faithful. You sought me. You wanted me. We, ha- we were in communion and relationship. And I just, I keep showing up for those who are committed to me. The Lord's eyes are searching the whole earth. I believe it's Isaiah. I quoted earlier, for those who are committed after him. Are we willing to be committed in our time, in our talent, in our possessions, in our finances to the Lord? Another component of the maturation process is the joy that comes with giving. And that's when you know you've really grasped. This concept, this paradigm God has for us in giving—better it is to give than to receive—is what Jesus said, right? And so it's a paradox because you ask the world, like those Christians—they're so stupid. Ten percent—that's a you know they could get a new car with that, or um, that's a down payment for a home, or they could do X, Y, and Z. Fill in the blank. But we're saying, Lord, if I didn't give to you, I would not be blessed. I would be a miserable wretch without it. Because, Lord, I don't want to withhold any single thing from you. And so you've asked me to do this. I'm going to partner with what you've asked me to do. If so the Lord asked us to stand on our head for 10 minutes a day, we'd ask, we would do it. And so, that's not in the Bible, but giving is. It's all over. It is, I, didn't, I could have inundated us with Scripture, but I tried going scripture light because I did that the last time I preached. And so, trust me. Go and seek the Lord for yourself on this matter. Get great resources like The Blessed Life. Read the scriptures for yourself. The Lord wants to move us in generosity because there is freedom, I am telling you from someone who's experienced it. There is freedom that comes with moving from the default of being in fear to being in freedom and not having decisions made for me because I was driven by fear, but decisions made for me because God was saying I got you. I'm your good father. My grace is sufficient. I'm going to provide for all of your needs. So just to sum up in case you in case you missed it, the four convictions where we give because God first gave to us, we give to get more of God, we give out of a grateful heart, and we give to grow up. I'm telling you there's breakthrough. There's freedom available in this house this morning we were singing about it the lord wants us free in every single way imaginable and i know i was speaking to some hearts this morning by talking about finances it doesn't have to be the elephant in the room it doesn't have to be the elephant in your heart where the lord allow him to come and minister to you and speak to you and prophesy to you because he wants us completely free where your treasure is there your heart is also Again, the Lord is, is after our heart. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. If you're completely right in your finances, God bless you. If you're completely right in your understanding of giving, God bless you. It's a heart issue. The Lord is after your heart. So whether the message would have been about anxiety or fear or whatever, the Lord is after our hearts. And that the Lord really impressed upon me this week that he was after freedom and finances. And lo and behold, we're singing about freedom. The Lord wants us free. So go and be free. I love you all. Enjoy a great Sunday. It's a beautiful day.